Welcome to the future of email. I'm Dr. Matthew Dunn, founder and CEO of Campaign Genius. We help email platforms grow by giving their customers the power of real-time visual media in their email marketing. We believe that email is the critical civil media channel today for business and commerce. This podcast features the leading innovators in email marketing. Stick around to the end. I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the Cutting Edge Podcast on the future of email. Let's go. Good morning. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the future of email marketing. My guest today, and I'm speaking to her from Chicago, I believe, is Xiao Faraya Dakuna, owner of Westerland. Westerland is an agency fundamentally, Xiao? Yes, it is. Tell us a bit about the company first. So, well, here's the fun nerdy fact. The name Westerland came from the brightest young star cluster in the universe. We work with companies that are still relatively young when it comes to digital marketing. Mm-hmm. And I love that superstar movie. You probably know about it, <laughs> Dancing Girl. So that's where I got the name of the company because I believe every business is a bright superstar and you just need the right person and the right strategy to bring that light out of you. To bring that light out of it. Nicely put. How long has the company been in business? And you you started, you launched it yourself, correct? Yes. So I've been in the marketing and PR world for almost 10 years, but right. I didn't take the entrepreneurship leap until two years ago. So this is our second year in. We're going strong and super excited to see what's about to come. Yeah. Okay. And how did you end up in marketing? Was this an I'm always heading there or I got I got pulled into it? Yeah, so I actually, I came from China. So when I started, I started with traditional media buying and print media. Okay. And I came over here for school. When I came here, China was still like 10 years back in technology. So I yeah. came here, I saw a huge change from in-person events, offline print, billboard signs, advertisements to, oh, wow, there's this digital stuff going on. And it's a lot more versatile. It's super fun. It's a much younger population. So you get people who are way more opener to creative ideas and just try out new things. And all those things as an artist, you know, that's straight up my sleeve, being creative, trying out new plans and stirring things up. That's why I was drawn to the digital side. And I've been in digital marketing ever since. Yeah, nice, nice, and and bringing a international perspective to mm-hmm. to your work, obviously, which is a real asset. Uh, uh, that is a uh, funny you brought up because we do offer marketing localization, which is partial yeah. translation services. Interesting. Well, I, that's got to be one of the harder tasks still is to get the you know to get the yeah. nuance. It's hard, it's hard enough to get something uh, to be expressive and on point and and, and to move people even if you both have the same native tongue. So to exactly. do it in more than one language, wow, it's a big yeah. lift. That's a big lift. Um, tell people a bit about your philosophy. Like how do you approach uh, making, a co- making a customer, a company into a star? I am a huge storyteller. So I came from a writer's background. When I was back in China, I was a full-time creative writer. Okay. And when I came here, a lot of things changed, but I still have that writer storyteller's personality inside of me. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, a lot of people approach a company, a business, and when we talk about marketing, we say, oh, you need to put out a business profile. You need to have this front. It is mentally impossible to maintain a front that is not you. 
So when I talk to a business, the thing I care about is who I am speaking with, who that business actually is, what does the business care about? So I'd rather treat a business as an organic creature with its own thoughts, with its own story, and it's got a path it wants to take. And then I bring in the story from the business owner or whoever is going to be involved with creating that brand voice. Got it. So so this is a fun rabbit hole to go down. Let's go down it for a minute. And uh, this may just be <laughs> maybe my my particular point of view. I find myself struggling sometimes as a business mm-hmm. owner with um, what, what feels like uh, almost an imperative. Like you have to tell your story. You have to have a personal brand. Mm-hmm. And at least in part, I'm like, I'm not the business. The business is not me. It's none of my, mm-hmm. it's none of my customers. It's not necessarily any of their concern who I am mm-hmm. and what I'm all about. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like I'm running counter to what's effective or counter to what's mainstream in marketing. Any reactions? I actually agree with you. You are not your business. You are way more than your business. And as your business grow, it will become way more than just you as well. Sure. So I am... against whoever tried to force a personal brand on every single person who has a business. I think it is ridiculous. (laughs) Your business should speak as itself. So when you first start, it's just you running the business. Of course, it's going to sound like you. Like my business content sounded like me talking for a long time Mm -hmm. until I brought in someone part-time to run the content. Okay. But I think the business personality should reflect what the team running the business believes when it comes to the professional center. Like, what do I think about the marketing industry? That is something my business will reflect, but only to a certain extent, because I have pretty radical opinions on certain things that my business do not stand for. Because as a business, we do play by the rules on certain things. And there are, my business would argue against me. That's the funny thing is it will argue against me on certain things. I might say one thing about marketing, but when I look from my business's perspective, I have to think about my audience, think about my clients. And I'm like, you know what? As a business, it's okay to go down that route. But personally, I don't really like it. <laughs> Sounds like we're actually somewhat on the same page there. It's, yes. uh, it's refreshing to hear it. I just, um, it, having having lived through the transition to digital mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the, you know, increased uh, increased. It, Increased footprint we all have, and yeah. exposure that we all have. Yeah. Um, I, I I've gotten for myself. I've gotten more like mm-hmm. I want to pick and choose, you know, what what's personally invested versus what the what the business needs. Exactly. To do. Yeah. yeah. And I saw a lot of that also from being an artist because you know most creative small business it's a sole proprietorship. Mm-hmm. The artist is the business, and I saw a lot of people try to keep. You know, what you were saying, you were told that, oh, you need that personal brand. You need to push yourself all out there. And all I saw were backfires, burnouts, and mental health concerns. And it's just, at that point, it's not worth it. Social media is not designed to do that to you. Nothing should do that to you. (laughs) Good good for for you. That's a, I I like this strong point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk a bit about yourself, Xiao, as an an artist. What... uh, what kind of what forms? Uh, why? Um, and how do you make right. how do you make it go? So as far as art goes, I'm all about being the cultural ambassador. I can talk about mythology and Asian culture for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. That's what powers my art. Those are the core symbols I use. 
And based on those symbols, I use my traditional culture combined with what I've learned since I came to the States, which, whew, what a trip. Um, I use that and to touch on topics, not necessarily marketing related, but my business and my art, they both focus a lot. You can probably tell by my LinkedIn focus on mental health awareness. Mm-hmm. It does focus on authenticity and how to put yourself out there in the world, not in a self-exploitary way, but in a way that is influential, compassionate, and that will naturally build a community around you. Like in art, my stuff is pretty peculiar. So I know I have a very specific audience who will get hooked to it and mm-hmm. it might not resonate with others. And I see the same thing in art and in business. It's marketing or not, what we are saying is not going to resonate with everyone. But as far as art goes, for me, it's like, the moment I get those little direct messages on my art Instagram, people say, you made my day. Like I ha- I was having a really hard day. I saw your painting. I read your caption. It made me feel so much better. Like those are the little moments I live for. Yeah. And I think that should be the same, whether you're an artist or you're in marketing or in anything. It's like live for the small moments. Like I know my art is touching people. I always joke like I don't like kids. I like other people's kids. But personally, <laughs> I don't think about kids. So I always tell others, like, my art is going to be my legacy. The more people my art touch, the bigger my legacy is going to be. Wow. What, uh, what, what, what artists, can you name some artists that you yourself uh, like and get something out of? Um, living artists, uh, Nathan Spore, a friend of mine and a brilliant digital artist. He's also actually head curator of Society6. That's his commercial side. And yeah, I know a ton of living artists. Most of my influences come from Japan. So oh, like really? now Tsukiji, that was a very big illustration artist who was probably the first person to go full out in pushing the Asian symbols, like illustration-wise and you know, backstory-wise. She was one of the earliest pioneers to actually be like, I'm going to throw all these wild little ideas into one painting. And you decipher it and take whatever you can take. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So so you've got to be informed. Uh, She's got to be informed. And it sounds like that's uh, that's someone in your bailiwick as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got a you've got a vocabulary drawing from a specific culture and even specific visual symbol set that you're Mm re-expressing. And it's fascinating because, you know, in marketing, we talk about, oh, you need to convey one idea to a crowd. And when I'm working with foreign symbols in my art, I'm actually doing the same thing is because my audience, most of them don't speak Chinese. They don't know anything about the stories I'm using. But I started to notice what it was expressed in the visual form. They actually understand what it is about, even though they might have zero idea of the mythology I was referring to. Really? Oh, that's interesting. So it it translates somehow regardless of whether or not mm-hmm. right yeah. whether or not there's a literal translation exactly wow wow um yeah and it, ideograph ideographic character set in in the written language correct mm-hmm. yes and are, is that symbol set part of your vocabulary as an artist um i occasionally use it personally i feel like the characters the actual letters yeah. take the visual expression power away from it. Because when you see a letter, you try to figure out what it is about. When yeah. you see a flower or a bird, you take it as a flower and bird and look at it for the larger picture. You know? Right, right. Okay. Um, let's take this in a slightly different direction because I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued as heck by, by the, 
you know, juxtaposition of the things that you do. And I, and I do want to focus it specifically on email in this respect. Uh-huh. Um, my observation is that email lags as a visual medium uh-huh. compared uh-huh. to other other channels, particularly other digital channels. Any reaction yeah. to that? I do agree because most of the time when we talk about email, we're still dealing with plain text. Yeah. But we also need to think about like there are ways you can turn a video into a GIF with captions and everything and just sure. plug it into the email. Sure. And there are plenty of fancy newsletters out there. Yeah. But I think it's like, I look at email a lot of times closer as longer text messages because most of us are reading emails on our phone nowadays. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, the audience is at a different mindset when they open an email compared to the audience browsing social media or looking at a YouTube ad. So when it comes to email, my question would be, does the visual element really matter that much or is it the way you write it? The same way you would be texting someone. I'm going to disagree with you, or I'm going to ask you to support your yeah. contention that that mm-hmm. the I, I'd I'd agree that the habit and expectation of I open an email, I'm probably going to get mostly text is there. Mm-hmm. My question is why why are we sending mostly text? That is a really really good question because we have graphic heavy email like from a technologic standpoint, they'll tell you adding too much graphic affects your email deliverability because yeah, of how that, Which, is, which you know. is horse manure, but keep going. Exactly. It's <laughs> not even true. I it's think it's, true. it still goes back to a mindset thing. Like if I'm opening a marketing email that I know it's a marketing email, I'm expecting pretty images, cute colors and things like that. You know, I open an email I received from someone I've bought before. You better be sending me a nice coupon here. Otherwise, why am I opening it? Right. So it goes back to expectation. Uh, I'm in the B2B sector and most Mm -hmm. of my clients are in the B2B sector. Mm -hmm. So we are still dealing with people who are down to the point, be like, why are you emailing? And when someone opens the email with the mindset of, okay, why am I getting this email? Yep. At least from my experience running client campaigns, running campaigns for myself, Mm -hmm. text emails, work more efficiently. It has a higher open, higher click, higher response compared to the graphic emails. But I'm not saying text email as a gigantic essay. Yeah, Some but, people do that. But that there's a, you just said something fundamentally illogical and I'm gonna and I'm gonna call it out because you because right. almost nobody says it. Yeah. yeah. Text more effective that text is more effective than mm-hmm. visual is mm-hmm. a is a dumb statement in this respect. Yeah. Which text and which visual? Exactly. You can't, you can't indict the yeah. category mm-hmm. by the specific. It's like if no, you send, you can't. right, if you send a meaningless image, it's mm-hmm. not going to do as much. If you send a yeah. meaningful or impactful image, yeah. it's going to do something different. Mm-hmm. So saying image better, image worse is like a meaningless statement to me. No, it doesn't. Yeah, you cannot. You just cannot say it. You cannot yeah. say that on any marketing pieces because right. like I would say, you got to think about what mindset your recipient is in. Are they opening the email because they actually just want to check for information? Mm-hmm. Or are they expecting, you know, would the visual in this case be helpful or become an obstacle of actually building that relationship with the person right. you're emailing? Right. Yeah. Right. My my uh I'd be curious to know your reaction to this. My my categorical observation about visuals in email is that they tend to be decorative, not mm. not necessarily 
meaningful in a, mm-hmm. I got most of my information from the visual sense. Yeah. It tends to be sort of the supporting characters and the bit parts, not the star. The star tends to be the copy. Yeah. And the more complex the subject matter, the more likely you are to actually get it across with mm-hmm. a visual than with a long block of text. Yeah, that may I, not I definitely agree with you on yeah? that part. I think most people get distracted because how much people are like preaching, oh, you need a visual brand guide. You need to have the look and feel. Yeah. I agree it is important to be visually consistent and pleasing. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to communication, mm-hmm. you need to understand if you're sending an email with visuals in it, that visual better have some functionality. It should be more than just decorated. You know, yeah. an infographic is definitely more friendly than a 20 page white paper. I'm not going well, to read it. Good. If good I download point. it, I'm probably going to look at the pictures first. Let's just be honest. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. So, yeah, I agree with you on that yeah. one. There's a there's a um, there's an email newsletter that I that I pay to subscribe to. Oh, it's mm-hmm. worth pointing that out. Ben Thompson Stratechery, and uh, he's a brilliant analyst, and he puts out a ton of uh, very thoughtful and on point content. Much of it or most of it written, but he'll frequently mm-hmm. take relatively simple tools. I think he uses the paper app on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And 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 draws the visual of the concept he's trying to get across, and yeah. it tends to really unlock mm-hmm. what he's written. You look at it and go, "Oh, I get the concept." Yeah. Now let me go reread that again, so mm-hmm. I really you know get what he's saying about aggregators or whatever else. And yeah, he's one of the, he's one of the few, to my mind, that take that the is, that is the people. good approach. As I pay for a newsletter as well, uh, mm-hmm. I subscribe to Media Post. Okay. And yeah. when they send me those things, the reason I actually read it because they always have a graphic. Mm-hmm. There's a graph, a bar chart, a pie chart, something yeah. sums up the entire article, and it's right there when you click open the yeah. email. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't think I have the endurance to actually read all those. <laughs> Nobody reads all of their email, right? <laughs> exactly. But yeah. that's how they got me. I'm like, okay, so this is the topic I actually need to read about, and here's yeah. the graphic. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, and and we're we're uh, we're accustomed to such a high level of visual execution mm-hmm. in other channels, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you open yeah. an app, it better be pixel perfect. Uh, you open a website, yeah. your standards are pretty high now mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Uh, design, brand consistency, preferably meaning meaning meaningful or impactful visuals. Yeah, uh, nobody's got a plain ugly website for long today because no, no. they, they lose their credibility and yet we send yeah. out <laughs> we send out I mean, it's money. not gonna last it might work for the first three months you just yeah. needed a yeah. website yeah 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 interesting um you touched on text um and mm-hmm. i had a i had kenneth burke from text request on as a uh, as a guest on the podcast a while back great conversation cool. what's your perspective um and let's talk us and then we'll broaden it broaden it to china as well because yeah. i know there's there's apps and Media mm-hmm. play a different role, but in the U.S. or Western market, email, mm-hmm. text. How do you see those two um, interacting? How are they different? How are they similar? Text message, like if we're just talking text, text, it's definitely shorter, faster. Nobody enjoys opening a text message on your phone and your screen fills up. Mm-hmm. Email, I think people are a little bit more tolerant for it, but it's still the same mindset. Like get on point. 
tell them why you are reaching out, tell them why they are receiving this email and what's the value they are going to get out of it. Yep. Is that what you are offering? It doesn't matter what you're offering. Yeah. It's all about them. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is all about them. Uh, texting is so, um, it's such a high priority interrupt technical term, mm-hmm. you know, like even while yeah. we're sitting here talking, my phone went ping and I had a very hard time not glancing over to see yep. what the message was. I turn my phone off nowadays, unless I know I have really? to keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I keep my phone off for that exact reason because text as some, it's like cold calling all day. You know, it's intrusive. You know, they're going to see it. There's going to be a notification. Yeah. And yeah. you're disrupting their daily flow with yeah. that text message you sent out. So yep. for me, it's that I don't think I've ever used text to follow up or to market. I've only used text really? where it's like a client has been non-responsive on email. I'm like, okay, I'm going to text you now. So you've used text for person-to-person communication, yeah. but not necessarily as a, as a one-to-many marketing channel? No, personally, I'm not a big fan of text marketing. I think text marketing should come in when you're already at the client's retention stage. Because like, okay, for example, I used a third-party platform to do my PPP loan application this month. Sure. I am glad they had a text marketing system because they were able to update me with my application process. Like that is a good use of text. And that was, Uh, I would argue that's not as much marketing as service process. Customer support. Yeah. yeah. It's a customer support automation. As far as text marketing goes, I see like why it is being used. Uh-huh. I get text notification from certain business organizations. I'm part of remind me of events and stuff. I'm like, yeah. stop texting me. You could have sent me an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yeah. you'd prefer would you prefer the email? I would have preferred the email yeah, instead me, of getting text messages. Me too. Me too. Because yeah. it it's an interrupt. <laughs> it's private. It's super intrusive, you know. It's super intrusive. Yeah. And it's yeah. also I mean, practically speaking, I expect my inbox to be sort of persistent, long haul. I can go back yep. and look at that later. And I, yep. I really don't want to have to troll through my message yeah. app for that. The, exactly. That's something most people do not touch on when they talk about text marketing. You know, they talk about, oh, yeah, it's instant. It's higher deliverability. Yeah, and you piss a lot of people off yeah, by doing piss it. A lot of, yeah, no, you know, I'd agree. I'm also... Uh, we. we Campaign genius, technologically speaking, can mm-hmm. can deliver real time content in text as well as email. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've we've sort of poked at should we talk with text marketing companies and say, you know, you guys could actually be a lot more visual. But I don't think I've ever gotten a visual MMS message from a company ever. No, I have never gotten that either. And honestly, if they start like sending me funny gifts and memes. I would have been a lot more accepted of getting those text messages. Why? Interesting. Because uh, a lot of time when we look at marketing, it's like, what am I getting out of it by getting a message? If I get a good laugh because like, oh man, that's a silly picture. That makes me feel better than just getting swamped by a text message. Okay. Okay. It gives, it leaves me a good impression of the sender. And like, okay, at least they put in some work. You know, they're trying to be fun and personal approach. I'm not just a number in their database. Even though I know I am as a marketing professional, I know I am, but emotionally you're creating intimacy and intimacy is what, you know, 
course. You've also got a chance to deliver something closer to an experience with uh, exactly with visual yeah. tools, and it's not, it's not yeah. just it's not just data, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I've watched the rise of emoji what emoji communication, mm-hmm. if that's a fair uh-huh. phrase, right? Yeah. As people started texting each other, and we all make this gesture with our thumbs when we talk about that. Mm-hmm. We started doing more and more emojis, and the, like that character set has just exploded. It got larger and larger. It has, and it yeah. it means like you pick the right emoji for your response to your friend on a back and forth thread. Exactly, and you get something that would be very hard. Yeah, to type. And see, this is the funny thing is because Asia actually has a separate set of emojis yeah. of their own. Those yes. are completely made of symbols. Yes. So now that we are talking about plain text, yeah. but has the visual effect because they're like your commas and punctuation, they're making two little faces. Oh, that's really? the Yes, that's the Asian emojis. And I use that sometimes in my messaging too, even if I'm talking to the US clientele. Because oh, really? Interesting. Because of the Asian culture influence, you know, how many people watch animes nowadays. Yes, yes. And when I use those little, sometimes people are like, what is that face? That looks so funny. And I got a response out of it. Okay, interesting, yeah. and and you, it's already part of your voc. It's part of your vocabulary, exactly. right? Yes. Not in the linguistic sense, but an expressive sense. Yeah, and you know where to find it on the keyboard, which matters too. Oh, I have a secret keyboard for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's actually pretty awesome. I find it vexing sometimes, though, as a I've worked with Unicode and emoji sets. Like, I know mm-hmm. what it looks like here. I don't know exactly what it looks like there because. Different device, different exactly. rendering. Yeah. So you've got to be a little bit, uh, a little, a little bit careful about yeah. that. Um, do you think we'll see? Do you think we'll see text as a marketing channel um, expand and get get used more and get richer? Or are we all going to go? No, no, no. Stay out of my, you know, stay out of my messages. It's probably going to go richer as you know the younger population take over larger portions. Yeah. of the marketable audience because yeah, people like I'm young enough but I grow up in China so I think differently but people my age here they are used to like pop-up notifications and things like yeah. that which yeah. are also you know some of that still feels intrusive to me I'm like oh my god just leave me alone it's my phone but I think there is a growing population that will be more and more comfortable and accepted when it comes yeah. to text marketing but like you were saying, it is lacking a lot of things right now. It's still a young industry. We don't have visuals. We don't have interactivity. There is no experience there. So yeah, for text marketing to grow, yeah. you need both the audience and the technology to yeah. support it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's interesting to hear you say that. It's uh, it's refreshing and unusual that you recognize the in the impact of the interruption from mm-hmm. from your phone, and you're willing to turn it off. Because yeah. I'd hazard a guess, most people, uh, most people in uh, your generational bracket never turn their phone mm-hmm. off. It's always on them. It's always yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a writer named Neil Postman who is uh, I don't know if Postman's still living. He he's wonderfully cur- wonderfully curmudgeonly about technology. In a mm-hmm. you know saw a lot of saw a lot of the problems coming way before anybody else did. He wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. <laughs> I need to read that just by the title. I already yeah. know I like it. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like yeah. Are we are we all are we all uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, squirrels chasing you know dogs chasing squirrels and not getting a darn thing done? 
as a result. I think so. Well, I mean, I'm a traditional media artist, so that says enough that I'm oh, on the old in, school thing. You work in yeah. physical media. Um, I work with pen and paper, watercolor, mixed media, cutting really? and pasting. You know? Okay, wow. Yeah. That uh, probably a refreshingly get your hands on it feel compared to all the exactly. Yeah, because most of your marketing practice is probably digital tools, yeah. digital media. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, we touched on it. I want to go back to it. So you you you've got a you've you've got a foot in two very different cultures, right? Yes. Uh, U.S. U.S. and China. What mm -hmm. what? And you said it was quite a ride. What what are some of some of the um, surprises? initially adapting to U.S. culture when you got to school here? Well, besides food portion. <laughs> a little too big? Way too big. <laughs> too big yeah. yeah. That was my biggest culture shock was ordering for one person. I'm like, oh, my God, that's my meal for the next three days. Okay. Well, you landed in the, you, you, Missouri, right, Kansas City? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Midwest, especially land of big food. Oh, really? Ridiculous. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but besides that, like, like Asia is what we call a high context culture. So you say one thing, you need to read an entire essay out of it mm -hmm. of what those people actually mean. Mm -hmm. And coming over here, it's interesting because U.S. is a is a much lower context culture, and a lot of time what people says is what they mean. Like you don't need to overanalyze it. If I'm in business and I'm networking. They're like, okay, let me know how I can help you. We can, how we can help each other, and let's get on a call. In China, it could mean twenty different things. Really? Here, it's like, okay, let me send you an email follow up. Let's get something on the calendar. Okay. And that's something I definitely had to adapt to because at the beginning, I was like, did he really mean that? Are they really gonna help me? Is that what they meant? Yeah. And after half a year, I'm like, okay, just forget about it. You want a call? Let's get on a call. <laughs> so it dragged me down from this extremely high context to now I'm super low content. I'm like, I mean, what I say, man, you got a problem, you got to talk to me. So I'm like that now. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's, uh, wow. There's a lot. To, that's, that's a, that's a mm -hmm. lot to unpack um, yeah. because coming from the low context culture, your phrase, of mm -hmm. the states, I I never would have seen that. I never would have yeah. seen. That. Makes yeah. sense though. Yeah, huh. Asian culture has all these like unspoken rules. Mm -hmm. They think you should just by default know. Like, oh, you don't need to say that out loud. Everyone understands that's what you mean. Right. Okay. That's a high context culture. Yeah, and we're and, much more explicit yeah. service. And that's the main reason why, like a lot of time, a Western company try to market to the traditional Eastern market. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of troubles because one, they probably didn't do the research on the culture at all. Mm -hmm. And two, it just different cultures talk differently. Mm -hmm. And to create that effective communication, you need to learn how they talk, even if it's just within the same culture, because of age, demographics, education, you know, the psychology profile, mm -hmm. there are lower and higher contexts within a low context culture as well. There are people who grew up in what you call the guest culture in the family, which is often your, you know, mid-age and older female population here in the Western mm -hmm. world. And speaking to them sometimes need to be different because they grew up in a guest culture. There are things they don't feel comfortable about, but they'll never bring up to you. So how to evaluate based on the response you got from email, from their behavior, whether they open, didn't click, they clicked, didn't move forward. Those are the little 
psychology games that goes down the email marketing. The little, the little, uh, the little signals. Well, I'm struck by yeah. your uh, high context, low context um, framework. Uh, mm-hmm. puts a different puts a different uh, spin on what you were saying about laughing at poor translation, because yeah. it says that translation is not just a question of what's in the sentence or paragraph. It's also what's the context for that sentence? Exactly. Yeah. A very famous example was uh, when they translated the classic. There was a phrase: if you direct translate it, is even the best housewife cannot cook rice without you know bread, the rice. But back then, when they were translating it, it didn't make sense because you guys didn't really eat rice back then. Okay. So the best translator swapped that phrase and turned it into. Not even the best housewife can make bread without flour, and that's sold. Right, that's just right. a good example. Right. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a heck of a lot of richness to to bring to what you're doing uh, doing mm-hmm. for clients as well. Um, have do you have any uh, business involvement with customers or markets in China? Yes, we actually work with clients across the globe. Most of them are more on the translation and language service side than marketing. Okay. But we do work, like I work with a lot of video game companies. And when you come to video game context localization or marketing localization, now we're going down a rabbit hole of some video games create fake culture. And how are you going to translate a fake culture to another real culture? Yeah. There are a lot of things going on in there. We do, uh, we did a little bit of content marketing for some Chinese brands, and that's the same issue. Was like, you need to write differently, mm-hmm. you need to structure your sentences and paragraphs differently. And if you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole, SEO is completely different over there too, because it's a different language system and keywords are pulled differently. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, that actually that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. That's a that'd be a very difficult. A it's a rabbit bouncing. hole. Yeah. yeah, yeah, difficult bouncing. <laughs> in video games is, like strikes me as particularly. There must mm-hmm. be some massive misfires in video games. Yes? There used to be because I'm a pretty avid gamer myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we've made fun. We've made our own translations growing up because the official ones were just so crappy. So we made our <laughs> own volunteer translation groups and just yeah. started rigging games and translating it. Right. Like that. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and I mean, if that you may not, you may mean this more broadly than just language, but I'm thinking mm-hmm. in terms of, in terms of games, um, doing a lot of visual and symbol yeah. and style oh, yeah. appropriation. Mm-hmm. That, that might end up reading just completely tone deaf somewhere oh, the, else. The worst game to ever translate are puzzle games. Really? Especially spinning off traditional culture. Oh, wow. So when they design the puzzles based off traditional culture, that's the worst type of job trans- like game localizers want to get. Because okay. that's what we're like, how are we even supposed to translate that? Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So how would a, you know, how does a, and I don't play the game myself, but I've seen enough screenshots. Mm-hmm. How would how would Grand Theft Auto uh, read to someone uh, from China encountering it for the first time? Would they say, what world am I in? <laughs> now you're touching an interesting topic because a lot of those games aren't even legal 
in certain countries, in certain parts of Asia, because yeah, okay. of violence, because of yep. censorship. Yep. So that's another loophole a lot of us working in marketing, working in content, need to familiarize ourselves with are yeah. what are the trigger words for that yeah. country's censorship process. Yeah, yeah. And we need to wiggle around it. Yeah, or, or just say or say this is not gonna right, not gonna fly. Sometimes it's just some not are not gonna fly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, <laughs> not not easy and a lot of subjectivity, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. What a what a what a great background to uh, right. you know, bring into your experience in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Do you get have you have you I know we're in the middle of or coming to the end, hopefully, of a pandemic. But um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you travel back home, still have family um, in China? All my families are back in China, but I haven't been back for like seven years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It, it's the heck of fly. It is 13 hour difference. So you want to talk about jet lag. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah. And there are reasons why I came to the States because yeah. there are things I disagree with how, you know, my government treated artists treated the freedom of speech and especially coming from a writing background. So there are reasons why I'm hearing this. Why you're there. Yeah. Why you're here. Yeah. And the longer I'm here, it's probably harder for me to get back there and not cause trouble. (laughs) So I figure it will, I mean, I feel more comfortable, honestly, here, definitely compared to back over in China, because I'm from the mainland. Mm -hmm. I'm from the strict actual central government. Not from like Taiwan and Hong Kong. Okay. okay. So, okay. even during my writing days, we had a lot of problem with censorship. We had a lot of issue with what you're legally, even legally, yeah. allowed to say or not yeah. to say. So, yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's a uh, tough balancing act. Um, mm-hmm. You can't can't blanket say good, bad, right, wrong. Yeah. But at least you made the choice for yourself. Exactly. And so far, I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you st- hopefully you have not adapted to midwest food portions though because no still that's bad not. for you <laughs> yeah i don't think i ever will it just oh. makes me dining out really cheap you know because i have yeah. well, it's, a, it's a little it's a little i know this is not a marketing tough it's a little appalling i mean i'm a i'm a fairly large guy um and i don't eat midwest sized portions like are you kidding me who wants to put that much in their body? You'll just explode. Exactly. But I have adapted to the Midwest email lingo. So all those y'alls, whatever, terms and slings. There you I go. I haven't learned all that. <laughs> yeah, but wait, Kansas City, did you did you end up with a with a fondness for barbecue? That's that I have to know. Sort of. I think I'll still go with my Asian barbecue most of the times. Okay. <laughs> yep. I so, know. I'm biased on that. <laughs> Casey is Casey is famous in the U.S. for barbecue. It's uh, yeah. We definitely have some pretty good spots. Yeah, you definitely yeah. have. Some but good. I'm more of a backyard campfire griller. There you go. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, t- I'll I'll t- I'll take that one myself. Well, let's let's steer back to let's steer back to marketing uh, and maybe even steer back to email a little bit. Yeah. Um, where do you see email going in, in its uh, competition for time and attention with yeah. other forms? Email will stay strong. 
because it will remain our one of our primary communication methods, especially in the B2B sector. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue is I think email kind of took a pretty bad detour during its development with all these so-called templates and automations flooding. I am all about automation. I am 100% against blind, lazy automation without research. Okay. So I don't think personalization will remain that big of a deal. Like, oh, every message needs to be personalized. But I think smart segmentation mm-hmm. and batch messages that are properly tailored to you know resonate to your demographic, to your audience group you're talking to, that is going to develop even further, which will bring in a lot more technology support, maybe automations that are not allowed right now. Because like I use a very well-developed CRM. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my emails are automated with tags and with templates, but those templates, I still have to go in there manually switch things out. So if it continues to develop, you know, I would see that being filled in with either artificial intelligence or a different mm-hmm. type of workflow. But mm-hmm. yeah, email is going to remain strong. It's probably going to come back even stronger because the audience is starting to get exhausted with the over-flooding influencers on every platform, mm-hmm. with social media posting so much graphic. We're at an information overloading stage and we are going back into choosing the highest value information. Mm-hmm. and direct communication because we want to filter through all these things coming in. And email yeah. is where we filter things because it's our email. It's our inbox. It's not social media. Anymore. Right. So, you yeah. know, I own my inbox. Uh, you know, social media company X doesn't mm-hmm. own my inbox, although Gmail makes that a bit of an interesting um, exactly. edge, <laughs> edge case. Um, your Your issue with templates is that in, in ter- yeah, I think you said uh, kind of a kind of a uh, poor mm-hmm. detour for a while. Is that it, too formulaic? Mm-hmm. Not enough thought in the actual content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I can tell when someone cold email me from a template, they probably didn't even look through. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like like the worst case I've got was they didn't even swap out the first name tag. It just had a tag there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But most people aren't that bad. But still, they don't understand. Oh, a lot of them are. I, I actually put, yeah. I put the uh, Doctor Matthew in the mm-hmm. first name field in LinkedIn, partially deliberately, because now I can tell when it's a baloney email or baloney LinkedIn outreach uh-huh. because they don't even bother to to read enough to go. His first name is Matthew, not hey, Doctor Doctor Matthew. Matthew. You're like delete. Yep. Gone, right? You can smell it. See, and there are plenty of people doing that. I'm doing that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like if you're too lazy, if you're gonna, if you're gonna yeah. try to pretend to be personal mm-hmm. and not go to the length of identifying my name, yeah. bomb disqualified. Exactly. <laughs> like, sorry. Yeah, like for me, templates. All my emails are templated, Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. I just. I care about what I'm sending out. So I'm yeah. putting the effort to make sure it's going out right. But I'm 100% pro template. Yeah. I think template is a statistic method. Mm. It just group certain audience who will respond psychologically the way you want them to, yeah. to this type of message. That's what templates are. Yeah. Yeah. They, so, I mean, they, yeah. They, they are. I think we're... Uh... I think we're in for a an interesting ride as mm-hmm. AI starts to become 
not just yeah. a lab rat, but something something useful mm-hmm. because the sorry, let me let me restate that just to just to provide a platform for mm-hmm. <laughs> for debate. Email marketing mm-hmm. is is a it's a it's a fiction right out of the gate because yeah. you tend to pretend that this is one to one and it's not mm-hmm. right. It's it one not. to it's one to many. Exactly. Um, but you want the tone and the impact and and the reason we discuss things like personalization mm-hmm. to be like, oh, you made that just for me. No, you automated that and sent it to yeah. me. Let's call yeah. a spade a spade. As we start getting uh, smarter <laughs> tools mm-hmm. to make the make the content more you know, even more tailored? Are we going to hit a point where it really looks like you sat down and wrote that just for me? I don't think so. I think that would be counterproductive. Because like when I was saying, I don't care if my favorite clothing brand address me by my name, as long as you're pushing the right content to me. Oh, that's the discount I could totally use. That's the stuff I buy. So it goes down to behavioral silence. It goes back down to customer consumer psychology. You know, that's the funny thing was you were talking about, we were both talking about AI technology. And that's an issue I see in marketing nowadays overall is we become overly dependent on the technology we have. How many people have actually read about consumer psychology? How many people actually educated them on those old school ways that actually are still the fundamentals of marketing? Hmm. Yeah. 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 The, 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 the who, if we leave the who out of it, uh, the rest of it is just tactics is roughly mm-hmm. what, uh, what my yeah. guest had to say about that. I, that, that's a great example, right? Like give, give me the, I don't care if you use my first name cause I know it's baloney, yep. <laughs> but I do care if you're sending me things that are completely irrelevant to my interests, yeah. especially if I have bought enough stuff where you should know my interests. Exactly. And if you don't, that's like someone sending you a baloney template. You're like, okay, I'm not asking you to sit down with me one-on-one email, but at least send the right information to the right segment. Right, right. Yeah. Or or give me give me a way to tell you this, this, and this, yes, that, that, and that. No. Yeah. Um, not that not that most people <laughs> would actually uh bother. Um yeah. What are your thoughts about the the theoretical impending doom of uh, third party cookies and the effect on the advertising digital advertising space? Funny you should bring that up because I think not too long ago Apple changed their uh, in app data collection rule, mm-hmm. and a lot of my colleagues were freaking out because yeah. they can no longer collect those data on the back end. Yeah, and that goes back to. We never had a method to collect those data in the old days. Like when I was back in China doing offline events and advertising, there were no big data cookie collection. Mm-hmm. Did those campaigns fly? Yes, they did. So if we're freaking out because of the doomsday of cookies and third-party data collection, I think a better question to ask ourselves is what are we lacking that are making us freak out because something that shouldn't have developed this much are finally being regulated. Good for you. Well put again. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, sound practice isn't going to be affected by this shift, but, you know, lazy sort of Mm -hmm. let the browser chase him around with the ad. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to miss that, to be honest. Exactly. Yeah. I had (laughs) the same conversation with a colleague back in Kansas City, too, was like, we were all saying, this whole digital marketing industry has been so unregulated up till now. Yeah, yeah. And it's destined 
to have a big earthquake and shake out people who are lazy and who are just slacking off. Yeah, I I uh, I think Facebook, I think Facebook is vulnerable. Um, For sure. Which which I'm fine I'm fine with because I I yeah. I, I think they're kind of overdue. Uh, they're overdue <laughs> to get to get some barbed wire around the room. <laughs> Facebook is overdue for a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean that you know just just just, just a personal opinion, which is why I never oh, never yeah. use the damn thing. But uh, <laughs> but structurally, they never yeah. managed to get a direct relationship with me. There was a I mean people who are habitual users. Yeah. Um, yes, but all of the th- sort of third-party apps, third-party mm-hmm. browsers, et cetera, as a feed yeah. were too integral to their business. And you look at it just as uh-huh. a sequence of events You go, well, if Apple and Google change this, this in the browser, you guys are going to get cut off. Exactly. And if exactly. you didn't change that, too bad. Yeah, you got to stay relevant. And like when it comes back to marketing, why the reason I pay so much attention to email it's because I think email is the most effective way to nurture your inbound and outbound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it comes to marketing, it's about relationship. So chase people with ads because you can spend as much as you want. And if you're not nurturing what's brought in by that ads, it just, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, you're wasting your time and money on it. Yeah. You just, yeah. You, or eventually yeah. you're going to lose me because you're bugging me too much. Exactly. Stop stalking me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Stop stalking me, man. Right? I like that. I like that. So um, what next on the horizon? Where would you like to take uh, Westerland? Um, we are steadily growing. We are launching a initiative called the Starlight Initiative Third Quarter, which is my way of cleaning up for myself and my colleagues that we have good relationship with. It's a education-focused program for small business owners who may may not have enough budget to hire an agency like ourselves. But I don't want more victim to 29.99 guru courses because it comes back and hurts people like me. So Starlight Initiative is designed for small business owners who wants to learn a little bit about marketing and do it themselves and also marketers for those smaller organizations. So you're one person marketing departments. Yeah. And as a part of that, it also touches business development and, you know, fundamentals of running your own business. It has a little networking group that comes with it. Mm-hmm. So for Westerland, like the name came from a star cluster instead of a single star. I am super community focused. Mm-hmm. I want to give that knowledge back because a lot of people don't understand the more informed my prospects are, mm-hmm. the quicker they will see value in what I do and the more likely they're going to sign me up. Right. So let's just be straight up love. I am a for-profit company, yeah. but I'm going to do the for-profits in as ethical and helpful way as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So the goal for Westerland is Starlight Initiative is a huge focus for me for at least the next two years. And outside of that, of course, let's keep growing to the point we are at, we're a five-people team now, which mm-hmm. is super awesome. Went from just me to five people now. Nice. And hopefully at some point, I'm not a big physical office person, but I would like to have some sort of administrative level person in. So I'm not managing everything. Right. Yeah. I yeah. got, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what you're, all the colleagues you work with are virtual and dis- potentially distant from you? Uh, well, most of them are still back in Kansas City. Okay. So those are, and I have a huge referral network too. 
Uh-huh. That's how I've gotten around. But my yeah, my employees and my contractors they're a hundred percent remote. Wow. So we okay. we took the Zapier around, you know, a hundred percent remote from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is uh, I've done that a long time, and and I'm a fan. But it's not for everybody, and you definitely miss something. Um, yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. you definitely. Uh, it's different, and uh, Zoom fatigue mm-hmm. is a very real thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's exciting. The initiative is exciting. You'll have to. Uh, Put me on the list and, and, and keep me apprised of what you're doing. Cause I'll put you on the partners list because we are also looking for speakers and workshop sponsors, things like that. Oh, and yeah. you have an awesome podcast writing the marketing world. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. What a great wandering and fascinating conversation. I'm so right. glad you agreed to come on and be a guest show. I'm so glad you sent me a LinkedIn message. Cool. Well, I'll wrap it up. My my guest for this episode has been Xiao Farai Dukuna, owner of Westerland. That's at westerland.co, correct? Yes, sir. So if you're interested in what she said, check it out. I'm going to guess the Starlight Initiative will have its own home, uh, digital home at some point on top of that. Xiao, real pleasure. Thanks for making the time. Thank you, Matthew. I had a wonderful time with you as well. Hi, Dr. Matthew Dunn here. Thank you so much for listening to The Future of Email. If you're an email industry exec or marketer and you're interested in being a guest, please apply at campaigngenius.io slash futureofemail. If this interview was useful for you, please consider sharing it. Grab a screenshot and post it and text it and, of course, email it to your friends. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, tag them in your post and include the hashtag futureofemail. I really appreciate seeing guest suggestions. It helps us a ton to keep the show interesting. We do put out new episodes and new content fairly regularly. To keep up, I would suggest subscribing. Your sharing, your rating, your reviews are the key to promoting to the show, and they mean a ton to me and to the team here. If you want to know more, go to our website, campaigngenius.io slash futureofemail, or follow me on LinkedIn. Search for Dr. Matthew Dunn. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.